I want to thank, first off, Craig and the elders for giving me the opportunity to be up here this morning. I can't say what an encouragement it was to have so many people reach out to me over text this week and say, you know, praying for you, thinking about you. Uh, Ryan Ross this morning texted me and said, I wish I could be there. I'll, I'll pray for you. And I said, I think you need the prayers more than me with three six kids. So, but nonetheless, we're here. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend some time reading in the book of Nehemiah together. And you're going to notice that as we read through Nehemiah together this morning, not the whole book, don't worry, that you're going to notice that Nehemiah had a specific mission. And what we're going to do this morning is take some application from Nehemiah to our specific mission as followers of Christ. So open up your Bibles if you have one with you, or you can grab a Bible from the seat back behind you. I think Nehemiah starts on page 403, if I remember that correctly. Or use your iPad or your iPhone. And what we're going to do together this morning is we're going to read chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to summarize chapter 3. And then we're just going to hit a couple other high points, a couple other verses. So let's spend some time reading together this morning from the book of Nehemiah. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city of my ancestors is buried and lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? 
Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servants has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the king, with the queen, sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy." And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I sent to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent armies and off, army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites." I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So as we jump past chapter 3, the one thing I want you to to recognize about chapter 3 is that throughout chapter 3, there is a summary of who all worked rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And 22 times the phrase next to them is used. 22 times next to them. This group worked next to them, and this group worked next to them. And we have a collection of priests, sons, daughters, goldsmiths, perfume makers, merchants, all these different types of people working at one task to rebuild the wall. All right? So as we jump over to chapter 4... There's opposition to rebuilding the wall. And the people not only have to work rebuilding the wall, but they have to work with a weapon in one hand and a tool in another. 
And half of the people are set to guard the work that is being done, and half of the people are set to the work. Now imagine if you go into work Monday morning, and they say, here's a bulletproof vest, here's a gun. You get to guard the, the building today while the others do the work. Just imagine that for a second. However, they still kept to the task and skip to chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What a fantastic story of leadership, determination, focus, and courage on the behalf of Nehemiah and all the people. Nehemiah had a mission. He stuck to it. He was focused on it. And we as followers of Christ have a mission too. And that same mission that Christ dished out over 2,000 years ago applies to us today. And when you read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and you summarize and get to the crux of what Jesus said, it basically said, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Go and teach. A couple weeks ago, Craig made an awesome point that I absolutely love. A few years ago, this, this point changed my life. That, that word go has a meaning of as we go through life. And it's my fear that as Christians, we don't quite get that evangelism, that seeking and saving the lost is not just a decision that we choose to do or a role we leave to certain people in the church, but it's at the core of what a Christian is, that it's wrapped up in the very definition, that if we're not seeking and saving the lost, that if we're not trying every day, we're not performing our role. That's our mission. And so, as we've read Nehemiah this morning, I have four short applications that we can make from Nehemiah to better our mission. And then after we go through these four short points, the lesson's yours, and we'll wrap things up. So if you're taking notes this morning on the back of the bulletin, now's a good time to, to pull that out, flip that over, and we'll jump to the very first point, the very first point of application that we have this morning. And the very first one is that we should prepare with prayer and meditation before taking action. Prepare with prayer and meditation before taking action. I speak to myself on this one. Mackenzie and I are quick decision makers. And a lot of times we don't take enough time to pray and meditate on what we need to do before we do it. Anybody else by a show of hands fall into that category? Okay, good. I'm not alone. That's great. So not preparing with prayer and meditation can lead us down a road that's not as good. Nehemiah, if you jump back to chapter 1, it says there that for some days he prayed, he mourned, he fasted. Now with the months we have listed there, and with that term some days, it's widely accepted that that was probably about a four-month span of time. Four months that Nehemiah spent focused in prayer and meditation before taking action on his mission. And even then, in chapter 2 and verse 4, before he comes before the king, the king says, what is it you seek? What did he do right before he spoke? He prayed, exactly. And he had a plan. 
He was ready. As soon as the king said, what do you want? What do you need? He said, I need letters to the governors. I need supplies from the royal forest. I need, I have a timeline. This is when I'll be done. This is when I'll be back. And so I ask us this morning, are we preparing with prayer and are we preparing an action plan like Nehemiah did? What's four months from now? Summertime. Summer outreach activities, vacation Bible school. Are we already praying for those things? Are we creating an action plan on how we can reach our neighbors, how we can reach our friends, our coworkers, our family this far ahead of time? Are we dwelling on that? I'm not. Be the first one to tell you. That's something that we can definitely improve on. And if we're not preparing with prayer and taking action, we are wasting the most powerful resource that we could possibly have. The God of heaven and earth who created you, who created all things and holds your breath and life in his very hand, has the power to save all men. And sometimes we let our small self get in the way of praying those big prayers. Our whole block, our whole community could come to know Jesus Christ, but oftentimes we're not preparing in that way. Application number two, have the courage to ask. Simple, have the courage to ask. We don't live in a time of kings and queens, so we don't quite necessarily understand the gravity of the situation that Nehemiah was in. He was before the most powerful individual on earth at the time. And what he was asking to do, rebuild a conquered city that was once a great nation, could easily be viewed in the eyes of the king as rebellion. And at a single word, he could have had Nehemiah thrown in prison, put to death, or viewed what he was trying to do as rebellion. And Nehemiah still had the courage to ask. And how did he have that courage to ask? If you turn back to chapter 2, And verse 8, we'll see. Chapter 2 and verse 8, at the very end, it says, Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, and the king granted my request. I get it. Sometimes when we're evangelizing, when we're reaching out, when we're trying to connect with others, what we're doing is we are reaching into people's lives with love and service and teaching, and we may be bringing up some really uncomfortable thoughts and questions for people in their life. People may be dealing with things internally, like, why is my life off track? Where will I spend eternity Okay, that's tough. There's a lot of gravity to that. But with God's gracious hand on us, we can do all things, right? Exactly. Point number three, application number three. We're getting through these quick. You can move up your lunch reservation probably now. (laughs) We must approach our mission with a next-to-them attitude and a mind to work. You may be thinking, what does that mean? A next-to-them attitude and a mind to work. 22 times in chapter 3, the phrase next-to-them is used. Okay? 
When Mackenzie and I first moved here, uh, we visited to buy a house. And one of the first things we noticed was there's this business here called Quick Trip. Okay, and the uh, first thing I was like, well, Midwesterners can't spell. Okay, uh, but quick trip. And then we asked, you know, what's there to do in lacrosse? What, what is there? What's, what's unique about lacrosse? And people say, have you heard about quick trip? Like the gas station? See, gas stations in the South are like a necessary evil. Okay, you fill up your gas, you maybe run in to grab a $6 pack of gum if you need it. Quick trip is unique, okay? You can buy groceries there, you can get coffee, you can get donuts. Uh, it's all a reasonable price, and you can probably get your taxes done there. I just don't know it yet, okay? <laughs> but imagine that for some reason, Quick Trip has about 8,000 employees. I Googled. And for some reason, if every single Quick Trip in the city of La Crosse got leveled tomorrow and it was in heaping ruins, and the CEO of Quick Trip came out and said, in 52 days, we are going to rebuild every single Quick Trip in the city. And we're not going to contract out the labor. We're going to take our cashiers. We're going to take our truck drivers. We're going to take our accountants. We're going to take our bakers, and we're going to rebuild these Quick Trips ourselves. Oh, and by the way, there's people who don't want that to happen, rival gas station, I guess. So you're going to have to defend your work, and some of you are going to have to possibly uh, go into battle if for some reason we get attacked. Do you think that would happen? Probably not. Probably not. Okay? But I know that's kind of a a silly, poor attempt to connect with what was going on uh, in Nehemiah's situation. But the people had what was described in the New King James Version as a mind to work. They understood and bought into the mission, and they connected to the why. They connected to the why of what they were doing. And because of that, they could all work next to one another. You know, I don't think Nehemiah probably had a situation where Eliashib and his priest came to him with the men of Jericho and said, hey, we can't work beside each other. We just don't get along. Uh, We have personality differences. You know, this wall is huge. Can't you put us on opposite ends? There's no way in 52 days that they would have gotten the work done with that kind of attitude. And oftentimes, as Christians and as a church, we face those sort of barriers an inability to work next to one another, or to have a mind to work. The truth of the matter is that we have to join forces. We have to work next to one another to complete the mission. Why? Because the stakes are too high, the time is too short, and the work is too great to leave it to someone else in the church. Application number four. And then everything will be yours. There is great power in good leadership. Great power in good leadership. Let's recap Nehemiah for a second. He approached the most powerful force on earth, united a dejected group of refugees, persisted through opposition, rooted out corruption, and helped repair a nation. If there's a hall of fame of leadership, Nehemiah should probably be in it. And good leadership is something that I believe we possess in this church. And what a, what a blessing. What a blessing. And 
It's my encouragement this morning, though, that you can be a good leader in whatever situation you're in as well. My charge to men this morning is to be a great leader in your home and in your marriage. To the ladies and gentlemen sitting here this morning, be a great leader in your job, in your friendships, in your community. You have that capability. Because it's in these roles, our friendships, our community, our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, that we fulfill one of our primary roles of the mission. It's in everyday life and how we lead and how we serve that we go and that we teach. So as we wrap up this morning and bring things to a close, we can see a great story of commitment from Nehemiah. 100% commitment to the mission. And it's it's my prayer, as we're going to pray here in a minute this morning, that we could have that same sort of commitment to our mission, okay? Because you can't get people to commit to not being committed. And you're probably thinking, what? You can't get people to commit to not being committed. If we're not committed, how are we going to get people to commit? 